Covering chapter 2, dismiss the children, it says here. Please forget that. Just to follow up a little bit, bit on last week's uh, verses, we were talking about Paul and uh, Stephen in terms of the suffering that they were called to embrace for the cause of Christ. And I just wanted to say, you know, when we hear about Paul or Stephen or any of the martyrs, we tend to think of suffering for Christ in those terms, you know, of these big dramatic um, events in a person's life. Now, it's possible, when I was a young Christian, I used to kind of think, you know, daydream or I would think, what if I was ever called to be, like, tortured or killed for Jesus, you know, what, how, what would I do? And I suppose everybody, you know, in their, in their Christian walk has thought about that. <clears throat> and it's possible the Lord may call you to that experience of extraordinary suffering, but it's very unlikely. And it's not the big death that we need to contemplate so much as the little deaths that he calls us to every day. So embrace the little deaths, and that's how we can suffer for Christ. And it'll not work. There we go. All right. So it's the little deaths. It's not the big ones. Uh, And those are deaths to our conveniences and comforts and pleasures for the sake of others. Death to our pride and ego and self. Our willingness to embrace these little deaths are what cumulatively give a life surrendered to Christ and a testimony of his reality and love to others. So it's the little, little sufferings that God calls us to. Let's start out with uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in love, in, in heart, and united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the mystery of God is Christ, and in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is the same language that Paul uses in the verses we read last week. The mystery of God is Christ. If you're seeking wisdom and you're seeking knowledge, you will find them in Jesus Christ. So seek to know him, seek to love him, and to serve him, and to follow him. The wisdom and knowledge that you seek are in him, not somewhere else. And he is not hidden. The wisdom and knowledge is hidden in him, but he is not hidden. He is there for everyone to see and revealed by his Holy Spirit. So Paul says, I'm telling you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. 
For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And there are many, many fine-sounding arguments. They get tossed at you every day. There are arguments about the meaning of life and the nature of man, the existence or non-existence of God, what you ought to value in your life, what you should devalue, how you should live your life. But all these fine-sounding arguments have one thing in common. They sound fine. They may have even elements of truth in them. But they start with man at the center. And then they proceed to build out an understanding of reality from man and apart from God. Whatever reality they may describe, however good it may appear, however cleverly it might be articulated, it suffers from this fatal flaw that it starts with man and builds out from man. Ultimately, these arguments, whatever they are, whether they're the arguments of popular culture about how you ought to live your life, what you ought to value, or the arguments of philosophers who have a worldview that does not include God or Christ, they're all flawed. They're all deception and delusion because they do not build outward from the throne of God. And he who is sitting at the right hand of that throne, the king of all creation, the Lord and master of the universe, the lamb who was slain and lives again, Jesus Christ. He's the head. If you don't start with the head, you fail. So, you can build your life on Jesus, or you can build your life on fine-sounding arguments. Paul says to those at Colossae, So then, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Human tradition is a very, very powerful force. But it's so often in direct opposition to the truth of God and the will of God. And it is a shadow of reality at best. And at worst, it's a delusional counterfeit of it. It's sand. If you build on it, if you depend on it, whatever you build is destined to collapse. Human tradition. So what are the elemental spiritual forces of this world that Paul's talking about? Human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. What are there what you would, might suppose? Pride, fame, glory, vanity, wealth, comfort, 
pleasure, status, popularity, conformity, tradition. This is how the world works. This is the elemental, spiritual principles of the world. Paul says these are fine-sounding arguments, but they're hollow and they're deceptive. But they can capture a person's mind and heart. And they can convince them that man is somehow independent of God as creator. Reality is only what they see and feel and touch and nothing else. Paul deliberately uses the language of slavery here. He says, taken captive. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Can a person be enslaved by a philosophy? Yeah, they most certainly can. So, don't buy into what the world is selling. Don't be taken captive by it. John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. So Paul is advising the Colossians, keep it simple. Just as they received Christ in the beginning to continue in him. Plant your roots in him. And however you build your life, build it in him. And be strong in what you believe. And just like being strong in the body doesn't happen by chance, there are exercises you can engage in that will strengthen your faith. The reading and meditation of God's word. Psalm 1 says the person who meditates on the word of God is like a tree that's planted by streams of water. And it yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever that person does prospers. So reading and studying and meditating on God's word is an exercise that will strengthen you in faith. Fellowship with other believers. Prayer. Worship. And then share out of what God has given you, your time and your treasure and your story and your faith and your love. Share it with others and be thankful, ever thankful. We have so much to be thankful for. Paul remarks back in verse 5 that he's delighted to see how disciplined the Colossians are and how firm their faith in Christ is. These brethren, they have abs of spiritual steel, you know, and the abs of steel workout video. They've been doing the discipline. They've been strengthened in their faith. They haven't been lying around metaphorically on a spiritual couch all day. They've been working out. So he he approves of that. And I just want to remind us that We won't become strong in the faith if we don't do the disciplines. If you don't spend time in prayer, if you don't spend time in the Word, you can become weak in the faith. So I just want to really encourage us all to to do that, to build up your your faith, strengthen yourself. And um, our meeting on Sunday is part of that, but it's just part of it. You're responsible. You're responsible to pursue those disciplines um, for yourself. So just an encouragement to do so. So in verse 9, Paul comes back to Christ saying, In Christ, 
All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Something about meditating on the word of God? Start with that verse. That's a real mystery. Because what he's saying is that everything that God is, his majesty, his power, his greatness, his glory, dwells in Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, who exists in a resurrected human body. And he will come back to this place in that body someday. And as the scripture says, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. And in him, you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. He's the head over every power and authority, every one. Whether we're talking about human powers and authority or whether we're talking about heavenly powers and authority, Jesus is the head. And in him you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, but it was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, John 8.36, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And when we were dead in our sins and uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumph over, over, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is the one who canceled your debt. And he is the king. There is no higher court. If there are any powers and authorities that have anything to say about our debt and the fact that Jesus canceled it, they can take it up with Jesus. Because he's the highest authority. He is over all of them. These next verses are really our emancipation proclamation. And, and, and they're why my message today is called Freedom. So having established Jesus as the head, as the preeminent one, Paul can then go on to say in verse 16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink or with regard to to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, all these other things, these celebrations and festivals and eating and drinking regulations, they're all things that come from what humans thought were best. Human tradition. Some are relatively harmless. 
Some may even have some value, these traditions. Some become dangerous and deceptive tools of one, who is our enemy, who would have us look away from the eternal and cling to temporal shadows. And none of those traditions, none of those things that Paul mentions in the list are to be regarded above Christ. So human traditions are shadows of reality. Reality itself is in Jesus Christ. And I spoke about human traditions in terms of Oh, popular culture, secular traditions, holidays, whatever. But there are also traditions in the church that can actually distract you from Jesus. So the the key is, don't put human traditions above Jesus and wanting to know him and make him known. Verse 18, he says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. And they're puffed up with their idle notions by their unspiritual mind. There are all kinds of wacky things out there today, just as there were in those days. So these people would come and they would say, you know, This angel sat down and talked to me and told me these things. And then they would go into a lot of detail about what kind of things they were told. And Paul is saying, no. They have lost connection with the head. From whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. If you lose connection with Jesus Christ, who is the head, you wander off into the darkness. You wander off into deception and delusion. There is no truth outside of him. As we stay connected to Christ, though, and to one another in his body, God causes us to grow. And I also want to say, that the reverse of this statement is equally true and equally important to understand. If you don't stay connected to Jesus, and if you don't have regular encouraging fellowship with your brothers and sisters, you can wander off, and I've seen it. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, we don't belong to the world anymore. We belong to Jesus. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? We're not bound by the rules of this world. Brethren, We're not even bound by death anymore. We've been set free. Death, where is your sting? No longer applies to us. We are in Christ. So why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, 
do not touch, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. When most people think of religion, what do they think of? They think of do not, do not. Well, at Bowling Green Covenant Church, what we like to preach is do. All the things that we can do now that we're set free in Christ. So he goes on to say, these rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. And I really like that. These things are all destined to perish with use. What things? Everything. Everything. Everything around you. Everything in this world is destined to perish with use. Including this, you know. I'll get a new one. So, don't invest in perishables. They will end up stinky. That's why they're called perishables. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in terms of restraining sensual indulgence. So do we want the appearance of wisdom? Or do we want wisdom? We want religious form and activity or hearts that can't help but sing to the Lord because they're overflowing with thanksgiving. That's what we want. That's what we want. We don't want ritual. We don't want religion. We want a relationship with Jesus Christ every day through His Spirit. We want to cling to the head. Do we want false humility? where we continue to beat ourselves up and put ourselves down and wallow in condemnation, which denies the work of Christ on our behalf, by the way? Or do we want to learn to live life not thinking too much or too little of ourselves, but rather knowing who we are because we know who He is? But just in conclusion, Jesus has set you free. First of all, stay free. Stay free. Walk in that freedom that he purchased for you. And then go and set other people free. The call or the mission of our church, the vision of our church is very simple. That's what it is. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. And to go out and tell people about this great freedom that was purchased for them. So they don't become ensnared again. They don't become ensnared by human traditions and rules and regulations. But they know that they've been forgiven their sins. How many of their sins? All of them. All of them in Christ. And they're free. 
And we're going to celebrate communion. And we invite you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come and take communion with us. And in it, we remember what he did to set us free, that he came and he suffered and he died on our behalf to purchase that freedom. And so, as uh, the worship team comes back up, and um, we just invite you to, to take communion with us. Let's pray.